Okay, we're all in take five. Aaron Hogan, Rod Babers, hook them up. 1019 AM 1260, The Horn. A good point here on the uh, text line, on the uh, getting to people's heads, intimidating factor. This is, I know it's NASCAR, but Dale Earnhardt was intimidator for a reason there you go yeah man it works some guys aren't mentally tough enough to be able to handle the pressure you know obviously executing along with having to deal with distractions of any kind right so yeah why not and if they deal with it great it's it's okay but what if they don't what if they play what the the mind games actually affect them and that was the (laughs) that was the the biggest advantage the Chiefs had going into that game, right? A lot of that's a lot of people picked the Ravens, including you and I, I because yeah. there was a lot stacked in their favor. Home, you know, rest. You know, they had a week off and they rested players in Week 17, whereas the Chiefs had played, you know, the Dolphins in the freezing cold and ultra freezing cold, and then had to go to Buffalo. Uh, so they were fresher at home. You know, kind of a rainy day, which you kind of felt like they was in their favor. But if you're Patrick Mahomes and you can, your your biggest advantage, you've been there many times. They have not. They have not. Never, and, never experienced it. And I, that's why I compared it to Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods knew when he would get on, you know, into the final round with somebody that hadn't been in that moment, especially in a, in a big event or a major. Dude, intimidation was a big part of it. It showed. Oh. Yeah. I mean, no, it showed. Unbelievable. I mean, because that's that pressure cracks pipes, Rod. In those big moments, man, the Ravens were melting. They were just unraveling, yeah, melting is, down. Uh, can we hear Justin Tucker? We said we would ahead of the headlines here. Here's Justin Tucker when asked about the pregame incident that went viral before the AFC Championship game. Here is uh, the former Westlake Shap uh, explaining what went on. I find it kind of silly that we're even having to address it or talk about something that happened before the game that I really don't see as a big deal. I've been doing the exact same thing for 12 years, never really had a problem with anybody. You know, and I, I saw Patrick there trying to warm up and get some drop back. So uh, he asked me while I was on the ground stretching, like, if I could move my helmet. So I happily got up and I moved my helmet out of the way. At least I thought it was enough out of the way. Um, and then uh, Travis comes over and he just kicks my stuff and he throws my helmet. And I just thought it was all just some gamesmanship, um, you know, all in good fun. But they seem to be taken a little bit more seriously. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm totally willing to let it all go. But... Um, yeah, I just wanted to explain that that's just, you know, what I've done for 12 years. And it's it's not like I'm out there trying to be problematic. I'm just trying to get ready for the football game just like they are. All right, there you go. Yeah, so, so it did. It, that was some, it got tense. Well, it, it feels like to the, the Peter Schrager report that the, uh, you know, the, the, the teammates maybe responded to it a little more, mm-hmm. you know, angrily than uh, Justin Tucker, Tucker did. Himself. He wasn't bothered. He did the kicker. He didn't go sing yeah. opera and kick, yeah, you know? You're right. <laughs> yeah. And he's, but wait, but that's a great point, though. What do kickers have to be in control of? Their emotions. 100%. They can't go out there emotional. That, a lot of kickers say, yeah, I can't pay attention to the game that much. Only when I'm, like, actual, the, the down, when it's third down, I'm really ready to go out there. Uh, he said, but I can't get caught up in the emotion of the game and that kind of stuff because they got to be on an even kill. That's right. When they go out there, it's all about their process over and over again. Same mental process, same physical process. So that's interesting. Justin Tucker's like, no, I didn't get caught up in that kind of stuff because I don't get overwhelmed by the emotion. But players, 
Yeah. Players get all up in emails. All right, we'll get to these headlines. Hear from Rodney Terry, your thoughts on the gamesmanship ahead of that game and then the game itself. Uh, also, I liked it. Well, I, look, I, I, it was, there, there was a lot of compelling storylines to mm-hmm. both of these games, which we're already looking forward to a very compelling Super Bowl, which is in 12 days now. Uh, but, Rod, the, uh, you know, one, of, one of my favorite uh, shows on Netflix ever is Peaky Blinders. Peaky Blinders. You've Peaky recommended Blinders. this. You've recommended you this yet? multiple times. I'm not, it's on the queue. It's on the queue. I've actually started going back and watching it again when, in some downtime if I have any. I just, just started True Detective, so, though. Story True Detective, the it's new one. Almost, it's and too I gotta tell you, me. I like they've gone in a different direction. It's almost a supernatural, like a supernatural element to yeah, it. There is. That was that was there was there was small elements of that in season one. You said the the same writers are back from season one, right? Yeah, it's pretty much the same group. Yeah, uh, different different director, but it, same it, writer. It seems like now that small element of kind of supernatural surrealism oh, yeah, sure. is now kind of the main focus of it. But I'm only two in. I'm only two in. Yeah, it's, it's, it's super weird. Yeah, sure. it is super weird. But so Peaky Blinders is just really, really good, uh, based right after World War One. You should go back and watch it. But in it, you know, Thomas Shelby, Killian Murphy, who plays Oppenheimer, right? He is the lead yeah, he's, character. He's, he's going to win Best Actor. And he's a great actor. Yeah. He, you know, as, as Thomas Shelby, the head of this, uh, this gang in UK, uh, tremendous. But his brother is um, Arthur Shelby, and he's the older brother. Okay. And he's a Hellraiser. He's a... Uh, troublemaker, troublemaker, instigator. Yeah, uh, he's a tough guy. Likes to fight guys. Pugilist. Yeah, okay. Um, likes a good time. Mm. Uh, it, you'll, you'll love the character if you watch it. And anybody that's seen Peaky Blinders would attest. Okay. Uh, the character development is outstanding over what, I think, seven, eight seasons. Um, well, so he got arrested. The, guy, the actor who played Arthur Shelby, a guy real named life? Paul Anderson, okay. uh, was arrested here recently over in the U.K. for possession of crack cocaine. Oh, whoa, what? Along with some other drugs, okay. So, crack cocaine. Yes. So, Damn, dude. <laughs> well, so this happened at a pub on something called Boxing Day. I don't know what Boxing Day is in the UK. Police were it's called like Christmas, to a pub. Right? Is it Christmas? I think so. Wow. Okay. Too, too well, I could be so completely he wrong. In, he was in a pub. Whoa. Okay. Whoa. Um, and so his lawyer in court is arguing. That uh, how about this? The, is this bullish or BS? You will recognize the defendant from a very intense part that he played in a recent television program. He often is recognized. Does his best to please the fans by showing and slipping into his character. The lawyer says he was oh, recognized no. on that Boxing Day. Tried to play it up for the people, and because of the lifestyle he leads, people no. often give him inducements. Oh. So he found himself in an unfortunate position. He should have had the strength, the strength to say no, but he was trying to appease his fans. Oh, oh, oh. so hold up. Are people giving him, like, drugs That's and what the lawyer's saying. As a result of him, like, they want to perform it. Like, hey, man, I'll give you some crack if you do it. Like, what? <laughs> hey, it's Arthur Shelby, that everybody. The, that the incentive? Like, Here's some drugs. Here's some crack. <laughs> He'll do it. Like, even, but a guy, he's, a, he's a successful actor, right? You're telling me this guy's a, I haven't seen him anything else, but he was okay. great in that show. I'm just like, man, crack? Come on, dude. Like I said, I, I understand people want to you know, use drugs, and I'm not going to judge people for that, of course. Uh, make sure you do it in a responsible way and you know, don't, uh, don't abuse it. Don't abuse anything. But crack, I think we can all agree crack. Crack is what? Crack and meth. Or, come on. We That's gotta, a different level. A different level, guys. Come on now. Like, come on, that, that marijuana now is legal in a lot of places. Crack and meth. Crack. You still, people still need to be told that crack can kill you. Rod, Rod, he was just doing it because the adoring public wanted him to become Arthur Shelby. 
And, uh, is Martha Shelby addicted to crack in the show? He does cocaine in the show, yes. Well, crack, he uh, and Whatever not. they called it back in 1919 or whatever dude, it was. Dude, Whitney Houston told us, man, back in the day, crack is whack, all right? She I don't said, think there was crack in 1919, but there was uh, little blue <laughs> pills they were taking or something, the amphetamines and things. So he was he was on drugs uh, a lot of times in that show. So yeah, he, he, was, doing, he was an addict so in the So if crack film. was available, you're saying he would have done it in this yeah, time piece. Yeah, yeah, a lot of booze, a lot of, a lot of drugs. So, so you say he's not a great actor because he's just playing himself then. He got clean in the later episodes, if memory serves. But uh, uh, either way, so no, his lawyer is trying to use that he's the famous actor excuse, and that sounds like what was the when? Wow. <laughs> what was the commercial when we were kids, Rob, for, for Life cereal? Mikey likes it. Mikey, Mikey. will eat anything. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, Albert is just trying to appease his fans. Now, yeah, wow. Uh, there you go. What the show's popular, I guess, because people really want him to do the character. It's a good show. But don't, yeah, come on, crack. No, no, no crack, no meth. We th- those things can will destroy you. Uh, December twenty sixth is Boxing Day. Oh, so right after Christmas. Uh, originated as a holiday to give poor gives gifts to poor people. Oh, like a Robin Hood aspect. Yeah, too. like you got a lot of gifts on Christmas. So on Boxing Day, we're gonna go. Oh, uh, so give you give some to. Do you, do you give brand new gifts? Or are you regifting to the less fortunate? Well, in or the, you in, give them stuff that is too old? Or you, you know, what I mean, don't know. Uh, in the UK, though, it sounds like another day to get to, to go to the pub and drink. It's <laughs> great. It's a good idea. Yeah, go to the pub and drink. Go give to the less fortunate. That's right. Not bad. Don't do crack or meth. Don't do that. Come on. Yeah. Now. There we go. Uh, all right. Here we go. It's the day after Christmas. Thank you very much. But yeah, Peaky Blinders highly recommend if you have not uh, streamed I'll jump it. On it. It goes pretty quickly too because you'll get you'll get hooked pretty fast. Um, just like crack. It's <laughs> like crack. <laughs> Can we get to the uh, headlines, trending topics, including a frustrating loss for the Horns last night? <laughs> top Gun Reynolds and Lonequin will bring you the top stories. And, yes, yeah, start at the uh, at the mood last night. Texas basketball, tough outcome at a jam-packed Moody Center. Longhorns end up on the short end of a hard-fought overtime thriller, falling to fourth-ranked Houston, uh, 76-72. Uh, Cougars did it thanks to their interior muscle and 25 big points from Maynard native Jamal Shedd, their point guard. Heck of a good game. Cougars started quick, had a 12-point first-half lead up, eight at the half. Texas uh, really rallied in the second half, uh, went on a 14-4 run, took a six-point lead at 54-48. Place was going crazy, but Houston responded, uh, drilling three consecutive three-pointers. Two of them came from Shedd himself, had tied it at 59, went to overtime at 65 in the OT. It was Kelvin Sampson's group. Uh, outscoring Texas 11-7. to uh, Texas really couldn't keep Houston off the glass all night. Uh, Cougars out-rebounded Texas by 11, including 15 offensive boards. That led to 19 second-chance points as they improved to 6-2. and two. Rodney Terry's side falls to 3-5 and five and 1-3 and three in, at home in Big 12 play. You know, again, it's not, it's not enough for us trying to come close or have a more victory. We're not in it for more victories. We, we, we compete at the University of Texas to win. And, uh, and I know our guys tried to do that tonight at a, at, a, at a very high level. No disappointment in their effort and their want to and the want to win tonight uh, at, at home. To, again, we'll keep working hard and keep trying to get better in this league. Yeah, Longhorns next up at TCU this Saturday. Busy night in the NBA. All three Texas teams in action. A couple of them found wins. Houston rolled past the Lakers, 135-119. Jalen Green had 34. Luka Doncic, another big night, 45 points, 15 assists. Mavericks nipped Orlando up in Dallas, and the Spurs lost at home to Washington, 118-113. A couple of really good games outside of the great state. How about the Nuggets spoiled Doc Rivers' debut as head coach of the Milwaukee. Denver won that game, 113-107, triple-double. 
there for Nikola Jokic. Also, game of the night was in Oklahoma City, visiting Timberwolves. Took down the Thunder 107-101 in an entertaining game. That was a meeting of the top two teams in the Western Conference. NFL countdown now on to Super Bowl 58. Unfortunately, the Chiefs will not have Charles Amenahu for that game. The lifetime Longhorn uh, MRI revealed yesterday he has suffered a torn ACL during the first half of that win over Baltimore. Uh, seven uh, sacks in 11 games, including that strip sack fumble of Lamar Jackson uh, this past Sunday. Also in the NFL, Chargers have found their new general manager to pair with their new head coach, Jim Harbaugh. According to Adam Schefter, L.A. is set to hire Baltimore Ravens director of player personnel Joe Horitz as their general manager. He's been in Baltimore since 1998 and worked with Jim's brother John Harbaugh during most of that stint. Horn headlines brought to you by Top Gun Rentals and Lawn Equipment. A new year and a new store. Come see our new beauty location at 200 Trademark Drive to rent, buy, or repair any construction and lawn equipment you need. TopGun.net. We'll shoot you straight. What would you put the um, chances of the Longhorns making the tournament at now? Three and five in Big 12 play. 50%. I think it's 50-50. I mean, they have to get on a heater. they got to play like they did in the second half moving forward. They just do. They can't, they, they can't have any more slip-ups. Yeah. They've got to make up some ground well, now is what I would say. And that, so they've got to become the hottest team in the Big 12? Is what you're saying? Yeah, essentially. <laughs> now, look, I mean, they got through this stretch of four straight-ranked teams going two and two. Um, the, the, to grab the win at Oklahoma on top of the Baylor win was big. You lost at BYU, and then you know last night in overtime, uh, you go to you know TCU's 25th ranked in the country. You get them at TCU. You got to find a way to win that game in Fort Worth. Then you're back home next Tuesday against 11th ranked Iowa State. Uh, you got to win your home games for sure. Yeah, and, one and three at home in Big 12. That's and remember they got to go back to Houston, Rod, on that's February ugly. 17th. Yeah, that ain't that's 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 they got to go to fuel. Kansas. They got to go to Texas Tech. It might be under 50-50. they got to go to Baylor. That's um, what I said. I don't know if it's yeah, 50-50. I'm thinking, yes. I think it's, Just because no. they, they're 1-3 at home is a part of the 3-5 and five in Big 12 play. That's right. And that's we said that as it happened, that losing that Tech game to start conference play, and Tech is sitting atop the conference right now. But uh, that West Virginia, I mean, that uh, UCF game, losing at West that's, Virginia yeah. when they were 5-11 and 11 or 5-12 and 12 was a game you can't lose. And to, to come out of the gate with Texas Tech, Cincinnati, West Virginia, and UCF 1-3, is what's really going to cost this team? Because yep. if they had gone three and one in that, then you, you and then go two and two in this stretch, you have more margin for error. Yeah, now you have none. Yeah, and as we say, coming up February, you know, you you've got you know two ranked teams here this next week, and then you have a road trip to Houston, to Kansas, to Texas Tech, and to Baylor. Yeah, and they're capable of it, as we've seen. Yeah. They can play with the best teams in the country, the best teams in the Big Twelve. But like I said, can they do it for an entire game? Uh, uh, and now, can they do it consistently? For I don't what for well, look, two I mean, weeks. There are eight Big Twelve teams currently ranked. Texas is not one of them. So I mean, they, they got to get themselves ranked before the end of the year. If they can, maybe because I think you could see seven or eight Big Twelve teams make it um, in this brutal conference that it is. But you got to post some more wins. You now the, the 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 two and two stretch here in the last four is big because you posted two quad one wins over Baylor, the top ten team, That's and important. Oklahoma was number eleven at the time. So those are. You know the top top core wins. You got to have more of those moving forward, but you just can't have lulls. And that's I, I keep going back to the Dylan DeSue comment after they lost to Central Florida in a game they were up 16. He said we just have to learn to play 40 minutes of intense basketball, and uh, once we do that, we'll be fine. Well, it still doesn't feel like they've done that. Yeah, and you're Baylor, out of time. Baylor and Oklahoma, I think they did. Uh, BYU, they never played any defense in that game. And then last night in the first half when they were down 12, you even heard Fran Fraschilla, the color commentator on ESPN, call him out for Houston. I mean, Texas is not matching Houston's intensity. Um, that's, you know, you, know, you can see that with, your, with the eyewitness from courtside. That's, 
And, and once they started to, they played well. They were yeah. really good in that second half. But I don't know why it takes them long or they go into these lulls at, at some point in the basketball game. It cost them the Central Florida game for sure. It cost them the West Virginia game for sure. And um, even the Texas Tech game. So, yeah, they're still not a finished product by any stretch. And if that's what this is well, going to continue to be. So you got two weeks to try to finish this product. And I right now uh, it's, looking, it's not getting easier. I'll just say that. So if they don't figure it out and become one of the hottest teams, if not the hottest team in the Big 12, over the next week and a half, two weeks, then I think that's all she wrote for the tournament hopes. Yeah. Take your thoughts. If you were part of that uh, frenzied crowd at the Mood last night, it was oh. fun. That's what that – Sell out crowd, were. right? Yeah, it was. And that's what that, uh, that's what that building was for, uh, to create those you know, great home court advantages. And it certainly gave Texas one. When they got going in that second half, that yeah. place was rocking. They fed off of it. No question about that. Uh, so we'll take your thoughts on that. What do you think of uh, Jim Harbaugh bringing his brother's guy from the front office to the West Coast? Uh, I like it. Anytime he is taking a suggestion from his brother, it's usually worked out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hey, bro, a, I need a GM. I Who need, do you recommend? I need a defensive coordinator. Right? I remember that was Mike, uh, Mike McDonald at one point. And then after him, it was Jesse Minter, the uh, latest defensive coordinator for him. Yeah, and the Ravens are, have been a well-run organization from they're, the jump. They're very talented. Yeah, they make good decisions. They, even, I mean, they're not perfect. They make some mistakes, but as an organization, usually they're pretty buttoned up. They're one of the most, they're one of the best well-run organizations uh, in the NFL. So getting somebody who's been entrenched there for a while, that's that's a smart move. I, I, I like that move. Well, and as we've seen with him, and certainly with Kyle Shanahan, uh, Andy Reid, you want that, you know. Dan Campbell, you want that general manager who you're aligned with, right, yep. who sees football like you do. You, you don't want to try to do everything. You want someone you trust to handle that role and be the general manager of the organization uh, so you can be the football coach, but at the same time you want to have similar views on the football, on the game of football, which you know, when Kyle Shanahan got to San Francisco, he kind of handpicked John Lynch, and that's worked great. And, um, and that's what's happening here. Know, Dan Campbell talked about his alignment with Brad Holmes, their general manager, and at least John Jim Harbaugh knows because his brother said none of this guy's – this is who you want. Yeah, this is who you want. This guy knows football. He, and, and you know, it's going to be meat and potatoes football. You know what jump, 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 Jim Harbaugh's identity is going to be. They're going to smash you in the face yeah. uh, and on both sides of the ball, and you'll get good quarterback play. They'll and well coached. Yep. They don't have a lot of penalties. They're not a, a team that's undisciplined. Yeah, and we talked about it. Uh, that, that Michigan team that won the national championship just a month, just not even a month ago. You know, led the NFL or led college football in fewest penalties. Um, you know, best tackling team in college football. I mean, that's that's how hard. But that's how his teams have been. though. Forty Nine ers were like that yep. when he coached the Forty Nine ers. Stanford was like that. Just well coached, a really disciplined football team. And you're right, the the fundamentals, tackling, blocking. <laughs> that's what they specialize in. Um, and they're tough as nails. Yep, they, and they do reflect that. They're tough. As, they're tough mofos, man. <laughs> that is why. Uh, you know, what we saw from John Harbaugh's team on Sunday was so surprising because they did come unraveled. They weren't disciplined at all. Uh, no. Were, and that's, that's unlike um, Harbaugh's. Which, 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 which the moment got the best of them. And we also know that uh, in recapping that game, why a team who led the NFL in rush, rush rate per game, you know, handed the ball off six times to running backs. It's, the whole thing they, is so puzzling. They're they trying to break tendency, and I just think it blew up in their face. And as a coach, you've got to know when – you have to accept that you, when your game plan was flawed, and you have to understand, like, okay, bad game plan, and you have to yeah, immediately plenty of time it. in that game. You were not getting blown out. Yeah, it was a one-score game. You got to understand 17, that. Seventeen, seventeen-seven was the biggest yeah. margin. Uh, but yeah, I mean, so it's one thing to not adjust, but I just don't under. I mean, the arrogance of Todd Monken to think that if we're going to try to break tendency, it's going to be to th- try to throw against the best secondary in the AFC. Uh, 
And well, you got the MVP at quarterback, so I guess he was. I'm not, I'm not agreeing on a rainy day. I mean, uh, it's like I, I just don't know what the, that goes into that thought process, especially if you watch the Bills, where the Bills were able to go heavy and run the ball on the Chiefs and not mess with that secondary with Josh Allen. And remember, the Bills specifically wanted to keep the ball away from Patrick Mahomes because they they were all banged up on defense, yep. so they were trying to protect their defense, and they did it with the strong run game. I just it was just a it was a kind of an oxymoronic game plan for the Baltimore Ravens. It didn't make any sense. And they end up scoring 10 points in the football game. Because uh, as you said, in, in, for Patrick Mahomes now, uh, there are nine quarterbacks who have won the MVP multiple times. Yep, two times or more. Uh, of times. all those nine quarterbacks, Patrick Mahomes Don't has the win. highest scoring team in, in playoff games, correct? 30 points per game. 30 oh. points per game. Yeah, over 30.2, I think. Like that. Yeah. And Lamar Jackson has the lowest at 16, by the way, because yeah. once he wins his second coming up. but um, That's crazy. So if you you know you can be mad about the the way the Chiefs came out and Todd, and Jason Kel- Travis Kelsey had a big first half, you still held that team halfway to seventeen points. Defense, they, the defense executed good well enough for you to be able to win that game. And NFL seven, if you hold a team with seventeen points, you should win. You should win that game and scoreless and a half. Yeah, you should win. Yeah, you should win that yeah. game. Yeah. So the, it really falls on Lamar Jackson and vis-a-vis that Todd, Todd Monk, Todd Monk, and their first-year offensive coordinator. Yeah, it was his worst. I, I I haven't watched every Ravens game, but that, it had to be one of his worst, if not the worst game he's called. And like I said, I think he was trying to he was trying to play chess, trying to three trying to three D chess, right? high level chess, and thinking I'm going to break tendency here, which he did. He broke tendency. And I am going to essentially, I'm going to counter what the Kansas City Chiefs are going to game plan is. They're going to game plan thinking, hey, they're going to run the football, which you just said they should run the football, and we're going to throw it, and that way we'll catch them off guard. We'll catch them in run sets, and we'll throw against their run sets. Um, it just didn't work out because Spagnola called a hell of a game. Six different personnel groupings. Um, six-man blitzes. Uh, I think he blitzed him at a 45% rate. They did not plan on Steve Spagnuolo calling the brilliant game plan he did, and he just said it's, it's a chess match within the game between those coordinators, and it turns out that Monkey was playing checkers and Spagnuolo was playing chess. Yeah, and he never adjusted to, the, never to the point adjusted. that he never – like even on the, the triple coverage interception Lamar threw, you're, you're right there in the high red. Just start pounding the, pound the football in here. You know, take control of this game. It's still there to be won for the Baltimore Ravens, even oh, yeah. for all the mistakes. And yep. that that interception became the critical. You can't recover from that situation. Uh, look, good stuff on the text line. This is four four seven three seven seven six. It says at least Jerry is aligned with Jerry. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> this says Lenardi. Joe Lenardi says nine Big Twelve teams are going to get in the tournament. Well, that's good. If you can make yourself the ninth, then maybe you get in. But the Longhorns have a tough road to hoe. Uh, but if they play like they did in the second half and uh, go with that rotation. Uh, you know, they've, they've got an opportunity, but they've got to win some of these games. And they, they're going to have to steal some on the road we don't expect them to win at this point because you're 1-3 at home through yeah. your first four. and that stretch, like you just went, went through it. I think you play more ranked teams than unranked teams on the stretch. And those that, those, <laughs> that, I mean, you, I mean, that trip to Houston, if you see the environment they've created at the Fertitta Center, I mean, it is. These are – you're talking about Fog Allen Fieldhouse. You're talking oh. about the Tillman Fertitta Center. Yeah, they're basically saying you got three – Baylor. The rankings will change, of course. But right now you got three games versus unranked teams left. That's it. <laughs> and you're not ranked. You're one of you're not you're one of the non-ranked teams. Yeah, you got ten games left, and only three of them versus unranked teams. Come this on. says, guys, was that the mood last night? Intensity was there from the jump. We were just out, you know, physically outplayed. Every rebound was a fight between both teams. I've never seen Dylan Mitchell manhandled like that. Uh, yeah, I mean that was that's what we said going in. They're going to look like a football team. And all both, that whole front line for for Houston, you'd say, do they, do they play defensive end or tight end? And mm, they are physical. They are physical, and as Jay Billis tweeted this morning, 
Um, you know, the, 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 what did he say? They major in playing hard. They lead the, <laughs> lead the, the nation in playing, playing hard. hard. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, that's that's what they do. They they have a great guard. That's why a, you. They have a brand of basketball. Hundred percent. Identity. Hundred percent. You know and what you're gonna get. Yeah. And look, I mean, Kelvin Sampson's year ten. Year ten of exactly. building that culture and building that that brand. You know, it took Scott Drew more than a decade to build Baylor into a power. Uh, college basketball has never been more transient, so you're throwing rosters together, essentially, and you're trying to build chemistry quickly, but it's not an easy thing to do. But what I would say for, for Houston, Houston's a team, big picture, in a, in a completely watered-down college basketball where everybody's about the same as everybody. They can win the national championship. They really can because Jamal Shedd is a you know fifth-year player, point guard, ball in his hands. Um, you know, you heard Kelvin Sampson last night telling him, hey, take over this game. Uh, which he did. And then they have L.J. Cryer, the Baylor transfer, who's a really good player in the backcourt. He's from the city of Houston. And then they just got those bullies, those yep. dudes. Yep. They those just wear dudes. you down. <laughs> yes. They just wear you down. They did against Texas. Texas, where they yeah. have uh, 15 offensive rebounds, but 11 in the second half. 19 second okay. chance points. Yeah, they just wore uh, Texas down. And I do think the biggest single moment came when the Texas – when it felt like Texas was in control of the game and Houston went to the foul line and missed a free throw. And if Texas gets the board, they get the ball and uh, mm-hmm. a chance to, you know, extend the lead. Instead, uh, Dylan Mitchell got beat to the beat to the uh, to the to the rebound, and uh, he ended up fouling uh, the guy who got the board. And that really, that's what got it to overtime. Yeah, um, yeah. And a good ball game, though. Really good ball game. Uh, frustrating if you're a Longhorn fan for sure. All right, Rod will take us behind the burn orange curtain. We'll talk about the Longhorns at the Senior Bowl this week in Mobile. The football players, the number is dwindling, uh, seemingly by the minute. <laughs> uh, the Longhorns at one point looked like they had eight guys, eight players going to the Senior Bowl. That number is down. Rod will tell you about that coming up. Also, a little more Longhorn football conversation. Your thoughts on the big stories of the morning, including is it a good defense that, you know, I was an actor and people give me drugs because they want me to become that actor, <laughs> become that role in uh, Peaky Blinders? Uh, also, the uh, Super Bowl is 12 days away now. Big game. We're coming back. What took him up with Ian Rodby? Turn is presented by Callahan's General Store, helping to keep your yard in golf course condition year-round for 45 years. It's always a good day to make it a Callahan's day. Remember, kids, crack is whack. Crack is whack. Terribly whack. Come on. <laughs> Terribly whack. Horrible. Oh, man. Never an excuse. Yeah. Uh, all right. We're looking forward to two and a half more hours of conversation on our uh, Five-hour morning-by-morning visit with you. That uh, means we're at the turn, right? We're halfway through. We're nine holes in and yes, nine sir. holes to go. We'll make the turn and head back. Uh, there's uh, uh, big conversations in the golf world. They're headed up to Pebble Beach this weekend for the AT&T National Pebble Beach Pro-Am. Uh, the Alabama star, amateur Nick Dunlap, will make his uh, professional debut there. Of course, he won um, you know, over there in, in Palm Springs uh, as an amateur, which was pretty awesome. Uh, looking forward to that. Uh, also, we have Terrell Hatton signing with Liv to join John Rahm, so another PGA player moving to the Liv Tour. And um, there's a big star out there with Anthony Kim, you know, who's coming back to golf course, a one-time a prodig- prodigy of a young golfer, uh, the Oklahoma legend and three-time PGA Tour winner, could be coming back from injuries. question is, is he going to join the PGA Tour, or is he going to play on the Liv Tour? So keep an eye on that in the golf world, Rod. Uh, but while we were talking Texas basketball, before we go behind the burn orange curtain here and at the turn, Rod, somebody said, uh, I think RT, Rodney Terry, got complacent this offseason. Now, look, I'll, we talk about Rodney Terry, but I will defend Rodney Terry. He did not get complacent. They were beating the streets for transfers. They had to rebuild this roster. 
And then, you know, in the middle of the rebuild, they were, you know, you know it's good fortune, but Tyrese Hunter and Dylan Mitchell both announced they were going to the NBA, and then they both came back. Yeah. Uh, and so this is the roster you have. Now, look, I mean, let's be fair about what the, the, the roster is at, at levels flawed. Uh, I think it's fair to say at this point that Caden Shedrick, the Virginia transfer, has not been what they had hoped. He's not as physical. They, they were hoping he could be their rim protector mm. and be their physical presence. <laughs> he came in from Virginia. But he's been battling back injuries since he got here. He went out again last night with back spasms. And so he's, just, he's not the physical presence you thought. And Dylan Mitchell, you know, here's, here's your problem with Dylan Mitchell, Rod, for me, is, is he was told by the NBA that he needs to develop his outside game, right? He needs to develop – he projects as a wing in the NBA yeah. with his athleticism. But he can't shoot. So, when he's, so Rodney can't play him at the three. He's got to play him at the four. Uh, whether it's Dylan DeSue or Caden Shedrick on the floor, he can't play the three because you can't then space the floor. Uh, and he, he, you know, he just, he's not a, a good enough offensive player to play the three position. We saw this last year at times with you know, Timmy Allen. Was he going to play yeah. you know, the three or the four? Or was he a guard or, a, or an interior? I mean, but Dylan Mitchell's a different problem. And then you saw last night when you're going to play him at the four, he gets overpowered by physical front lines. Yeah. And, and, you know, mm-hmm. he gets out-rebounded. So that's, that's a challenge, right? Um, but, look, I mean, as we said, I mean, Ronnie Terry did not get complacent. Uh, the, the Ron Holland, you know, situation, of course, he was the number one recruit from Duncanville, who's one of the best, you know, players this state has produced in a long time. And he was going to be a part of this. And if you have Ron Holland on your front line, you've got a different everything. team. Yeah, it changes everything. You've got a different team. Except he went to the G League, right? So now if you're Rodney, in both of his you know, top recruits, the point guard out of Los Angeles, you had him signed and both of them went, you know, took off to go make money in the G League. You can't criticize the player for doing that, but it's a tough spot for a coach yep. when you do get a player of that caliber, you're planning on having him as a big part of your team, and then he gone. Yeah. No, you're right about that. That's a good point. That's the new the new landscape of college basketball with the transfer report and all the other options with the G League now and some guys can choose to go overseas and play rather than play in college. It's just, uh, yeah, it's a different era. Well, which is interesting, and we mentioned Kelvin Sampson, you know, 10 years in in Houston now. You know, he does a real good job of building and recruiting players to the culture he wants, right, yeah, and he, the culture he's He knows they're going to be around for a little bit. Is, there, is he recruiting those guys? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. It, 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 that's a different that, – listen, that's a different – it's almost an art form to be able to do that in today's college basketball, to recruit enough of those guys. You want, you want the high-end potential guys. Yeah, you want the guys who are going to come in. They're considered, you know, top lottery picks in the NBA. But you also do need to make sure you got some of those glue guys that are going to stick around your program for a few years that you know are going to be – that you want to rebuild the roster every damn year. Yeah. Right? It's like, oh, this guy's going to be around for two, at least two, three years. We got him for three years. Well, by the way, <laughs> in the G League – for the G League Ignite, Ron, Ronald Holland, Ron Holland is averaging 20 points and seven rebounds. There you go. <laughs> and three assists. <laughs> yeah. That your, your team would be very different. Yes. That, on your team. I mean, 6'8", forward, <laughs> yeah. you know, with some power, but a skilled game. Along with everybody else they have, this would be a different basketball team. Yeah. Uh, because and in basketball, it only takes one – add one element, uh, one player. Yeah. You can totally change And so, again, it's not an excuse for Rodney, but just the way of college basketball these days. And, and you're, you're, you're going to miss on some guys. That, and, and, again, the Dylan DeSue injury was frustrating that you, you couldn't really get him implemented to what you're doing until, you know, almost Christmas or right in and around Christmas. And now yeah. the, the Caden Shedrick's been dealing with injuries. Look, I mean, you, Kendall Weaver's a guy you found, right? Kendall Weaver is a, is a piece. And you can, he can be here a while. Um, but because of the, the flaws in the roster, the rotations get weird, right? When you have Brock Cunningham and Kendall Weaver on the floor at the same time, it becomes problematic. Uh, it's just, you know, how do you mix and match 
this roster right now. Uh, but, you know, what, what you saw at the end of last night's game, you know that that's your group. That's Because that's not everybody can rebound like Houston, right? I mean, Houston is number one rebounding team yeah. in the country yeah. and their best defensive team in the country, and you almost beat them. Yeah, you won't meet a better team rebounding. Yes. So, uh, so, yeah, there's some flaws, but no, I don't mean the complacent stuff. And Rodney Terry's a good basketball coach, and, um, but it takes a little bit of time. And even Chris Beard, if you go back to his first year when he came in, he had to rebuild the roster and bring in the Marcus Cars and the Timmy Allens and those kind of players. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they kind of scratched into the tournament. And they, they got to 20 wins late in the year and then won a tournament game, ended up with 22 wins. This team is on a similar path. Um, and if, but again, is it, is it a tougher I think conference? it's a tougher. Well, yeah, when you add Houston to the I conference and BYU tougher, yeah, to the conference, it's a tougher conference too. Yes, it is. Well, wait till next yeah. year when Texas leaves and Arizona oh, joins man. the conference and Arizona State, and uh, you know it's, it gets it's even more tough uh, when next year rolls around. But either way, Houston, Texas will be off to the SEC next year. You'll be playing the Aggies. Yeah, no, actually, yeah, at least your basketball. I get a little easier. Yeah, say, basketball, get a little, that track will get a little easier. Football, tougher road for them. Yeah. Baseball, tougher. Oh, much tougher. Yeah, baseball, tougher. Baseball, women's much. basketball. Uh, basketball? I'm not sure. Actually, even, some research. Probably even baseball for sure because you've yeah. got LSU and Mississippi State and, you know, gosh. Volleyball tougher? Mess. I don't know about volleyball. I think volleyball. I know for Eddie Reese and the yeah. swim team, but Eddie Reese is retiring. It'll well, get much tougher. Well, Eddie Reese. <laughs> if it, I mean, yeah, I guess. It, will it be tougher? Yeah, because he's retiring. That's why it's tough. If he's well, because you have real like, – like we talk a lot of swimming here and at the turn. But, uh, you know, th- there are powers in, in swimming in the but SEC. But they're national. But Eddie yeah, Reese has been Florida. winning national championships, though, right? He's been oh, winning yeah. national oh, he's fine. So, yeah, he's yeah, fine. yeah. He's fine. Yeah, yeah. It'll just good. be stiffer competition yeah, in the swimming true. pool. That's a good point. That's a good point. We should talk about, like, who's going to – like, what program – Baseball is going to be unbelievable. Baseball will definitely have, yeah, the toughest – the tougher road. Well, now. when you add Texas – uh, who? I, by the way, program. we'll talk some David Pierce Texas baseball because coming up on Saturday is the uh, uh, the, the alumni game. Oh, that's right. This is a really good team. This, is, this team has a chance to be really, really good. Well, they ranked uh, in the preseason. Have you mm, seen anywhere them? from you know back end of the top ten to to fifteen? That's pretty good. Uh, but they got LeBaron Johnson Jr. back. They've got uh, this is a really good team. Uh, and of course, David Pierce has taken over the pitching staff duties, coaching the pitchers. That's right. Troy Tulowitzki's back with the program. So yeah, there's a lot of optimism. They brought in a great recruiting class. And uh, they're picked to finish second in the Big 12 behind TCU in the preseason. But uh, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll start talking some Texas baseball. But, yes, uh, I, don't like, I don't like the Rodney Terry complacent thing. I think it's, uh, it's, it's, it's 2024 basketball. I think, they're, I think they're getting better. I just don't know if it's good enough in this Big 12. They look like they're getting better as a team. Some of them are getting better at the rate. They need to, yeah, to be able to make the tournament. And I, I just think that you know people hmm. will criticize because it's year one for Rodney Terry. But at the same time, that I think you're going to have years like that. I think uh, especially when you're turning your roster over so so often and you lose out on two top recruits, it, it's a tougher road to hoe. Uh, you don't it get is. to build your program. And but you know Kelvin Sampson has taken him ten years, mm-hmm. to, and he's been into to the Final Four. But this is a team that can actually win the national championship. Yeah, um, a different level. It yeah. seems. Hey, let's uh, go. Behind, uh, let's wrap up our at the turn. We will talk some Texas baseball as we get closer to the alumni game Saturday in that first series in mid February. But uh, a little at the turn there, brought to you by Callahan's General Store. At the Turn is presented by Callahan's General Store, helping to keep your yard in golf course condition year-round for 45 years. It's always a good day to make it a Callahan's Day. It's the same question. What is behind that curtain? All right, let's uh, get into some nuggets here. About uh, First of all, about some of the prospects heading out to the NFL draft. Uh, Texas was supposed to have heavy representation at the Senior Bowl. That's not going to be the case. Another update here from uh, the Senior Bowl. How about this? Um, Matt Miller reporting 
Tavondre Sweat uh, won the Outland Trophy, opted to not weigh in at the Senior Bowl. Sweat was listed at 362 pounds by the Longhorns at 6'4". His NFL scouting combine weigh-in now becomes that much more interesting. So I think he wants to be a little lighter. Uh, maybe going in, maybe because if you're too big as a defense, as a defensive tackle, then the narrative is, oh, he's lazy, he doesn't work out, he may have a weight issue when he gets to the league. He's gonna have a weight issue, so we got to put that in his contract. That hey, man, we got to make sure the big boy doesn't blow up. So, hey, man, we're gonna put contractual stipulations in there, like, hey, if you get 15 pounds of weight, you owe this much money back. That kind of stuff. He's probably gonna have that in, in there anyway because they're already talking about it, but. You don't want the weight concerns on you as a player because every time – and I'm talking about weight concerns about you being overweight because then it always leads to a conversation about this player not working out enough and being lazy. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that is the case for Tomajay Sweat, but it inevitably always – somebody's going to have that take. Well, you know, he just don't work out enough. Can't keep the weight off. That's, you know, it's been an issue. So at him at 362 pounds, I think he just kind of come in a little bit lighter. I think he's probably trying to come in around maybe 350-something. Yeah. Maybe 355. Probably as slim as he can be. Like in a Whatever salad or two uh, yeah. <laughs> along the way. Yeah, it is interesting. Now, he did the other the other measurements, right? They're, yeah, he does all the other stuff, but I think he did. He just didn't step on the scale. Because you know his agent wants to tell him, bro, I'm getting a lot of talk, and they, people are concerned about your weight, so don't weigh in. Why, what did Kyler Murray wait to the last minute to do what? His, his height. height, right? Whatever the whatever – the, if the scouts are concerned about your 40 – you run your 40 in the most favorable of, favorable of conditions, right? Controlled environments. Guys like, oh, I, I may not run at the combine. I may just run my 40, you know, at, at our workouts, at the individual workouts, whatever it may be. Whatever the scouts are most concerned about, the biggest question marks, uh, the biggest buts in your evaluation, you always point out that Nick Saban quote, E, where yeah. <laughs> Nick Saban says you want more ands than buts. This is the but in his evaluation. Size. Tavante Sweat's a great player, and, and, but. And NFL personnel will say, you know, if he has a bit of a weight issue now, when we give him a bunch of money, is he going to eat less? Yeah. Well, he's drafted by New Orleans, and there's all the good food down there. That's Zion Williams. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, Williamson. Yeah. No, you're right. Exactly right. That's what they'll – that'll be the question. Because they're always going to project a nitpick because it's an investment for them. It's a yeah. big one. Uh, no pun intended with Tavondre. <laughs> that is a big investment, though. Uh, but speaking of the details, I might as well just stay on this conversation. So I, I've been having a lot of talks with guys who are scouts, draft analysts, about who's going to be the first Longhorn drafted off the board. And for a while, I think it was pretty much a mock, uh, I don't know, consensus, but at least the majority of the mocks had A.D. Mitchell being the first Longhorn drafted off the board to wide receiver. Even Mel Kuyper's latest mock draft, the one before Championship Sunday, he had A.D. Mitchell drafted 28th overall. He had him going to the Bills, but like I said, before Championship Sunday. Um, And he had seven wide receivers taken overall uh, in the first round. And I believe A.D. Mitchell was the sixth wide receiver that was taken uh, in that that, uh, mock draft by his. But there's now a new player trending for Texas to end up being the first Longhorn off the board. And that player that's trending is actually Byron Murphy. And I've seen this a couple of times. And I think the uh, person who is kind of leading the charge <laughs> um, and, and the one who is probably most uh, excited about Byron Murphy has been Dane Brugler. Dane Brugler does great work. Uh, you're a fan of Dane Brugler. He's one of the best draft analysts out there. So if you're looking for draft analysis, uh, Dane Brugler's really good. He tweeted this out yesterday. Uh, seeing Texas D tackle Byron Murphy appear in the top 20 of more and more mock drafts. No surprise there. A winking emoji. He said, unfortunately, 
No Murph this no Murphy this week at the Senior Bowl. He's resting a minor late season injury. Will be good for the combine though. So he's 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 essentially implying here that he's got him in the top twenty, which I know he does. I'll get you another tweet here in a second. But also that uh, the other mocks are smartening up, um, and that they have Byron Murphy also in their top twenty of the mock drafts. He tweeted this out also two weeks ago that Byron Murphy went number sixteen overall in my mock. And I think he'll be somewhere in that mid-first range. No D-tackle was more consistently disruptive on film this season versus both the pass and the run than Murphy. Love his quickness and handwork. In 20, and actually in 2023, in December, uh, right before, uh, I think right around the Big 12 title game for Texas, or right, right before that, a, he said uh, a few years from now, it won't be surprising when D-tackle Byron Murphy no tackle in this clip is the best pro from this Texas defense. Initial quickness, vertical push, body flexibility. Now, he's got a little man crush on Byron Murphy. He likes him, um, but he's a draft analyst, so that's also a good thing for Byron Murphy. But he is essentially saying Byron Murphy is going to be drafted in the top 20. He got him closer to 16. If that is the case, considering how heavy uh, this draft is in quarterbacks, wide receivers, and offensive tackles, those are probably going to be all the positions. If you look at Mel Kuyper's mock draft, he's got basically the top 10 is just quarterbacks, wide receivers, and offensive tackles pretty much. And I think he's got um, maybe one defensive end in there, uh, the Florida State kid or the UCLA kid. But other than that, if Dane Brugler's got Byron Murphy going in the top 16 picks, he'll be one of the top three or four de- defensive players taken in the draft, period. Yeah. If he's that taken that high, agreed. Uh, because it's a you know deep tackle are hard to find, right? Uh, especially uh, you know high high motor, uh, intense leverage guys that uh, you know play like Byron Murphy does. As I say, I don't, I wouldn't be shocked at all if he goes in the top fifteen picks because I think a lot of people are going to have him as the number one D tackle on the board. And if you need that position, you're going there, right? And especially in the middle of the first round where you know the quarterbacks are off the board, the receivers at the top are off the board. And you get a chance to take the best player at his position on your board, you're probably going to take it at a, at a critical spot like D tackle. Because the other thing about Byron Murphy is, I think as, as he evolves, he can be you know a guy that can be in there on for three downs and can rush the oh, passer yeah. a little bit. He can. He can rush the passer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he can rush so, the passer. So I mean, a three down defensive tackle that plays with a high motor, and uh, yeah, that's never going to be a question with Byron Murphy. Is he going to bring it? Because uh, sometimes big guys, you know, the engine kind of hot, you know, runs hot and cold. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is that is not him. <laughs> that is, he is all the that. time. Yeah. Uh, so you know that the bust rate with a guy like Byron Murphy, very low. Outside of injury, he, you know what you're going to get out of that player. Yeah, and if you look at Mel Kuyper's latest mock draft, in the top 16 picks, I think he's only got three defensive players. That's it. Actually, I'll tell you about He's got four defensive players. He's got a defensive end, two cornerbacks, uh, and another defensive end. So that's – I mean, if you got Byron Murphy in, in that realm, like I said, he'll be one of the top defensive players. He's got three quarterbacks, three wide receivers, uh, Brock Bowers tied in, um, and he's got, I think, two offensive tackles taken. Well, that's your top, top 10. 10. <laughs> that's, that's your top 10 that, right that's, there. That's what Mel Kuyper has, yeah. That makes sense with the three QBs. And, uh, by the way, Michael Penix uh, at oh, that senior bowl weighed in at 6'2", or height of 6'2 and a half. Uh, big hands, they said. Big, big hands for hey, a guy who's 6'2". So bad weather teams like big hands. It. He can spin it. Uh, uh, no Jalen Ford on that senior bowl roster. You just have to mention that. Along with no Jordan Whittington, Byron Murphy, he's not participating because of the injury. Um, so 
yeah, yeah, at this point, <laughs> dwindling. Well, it's one uh, thing to get invited to the Senior Bowl, folks. If, you, if you're not 100% healthy, you'll do more harm than good by yep. participating because uh, you've got a month until the combine where you want to be 100% healthy. So if you've even got something nagging, what you don't want to do is mm. go retweak it or yep. re-injure it, and all of a sudden uh, you're not ready for draft season. All right, that's good stuff right there with Rod B. Behind the BOC, uh, coming off of At the Turn. Coming up, you know what it is. It's off the record. Some stories you've missed but need to hear, including if you're trying to get a ticket to Super Bowl 58. Hey. Bring your checkbook. Hook them up with Ian Rodby. Off the record on Hook Em Up with Ian Rodby is brought to you by Viking Fence. When you think fences, think Viking Fence. DD Mega Doo Doo. I'm sorry, Mangoodoo. Once it's turned on, the sign will spell out Deli Cat Essen. Well, well, I don't get it. Bring the head comb. Well, congratulations. Continue good sex in, the, sex in the Big East. Thank you, Jimmy. And boom goes the dynamite. It's time for another edition of Off the Record. Do it live. I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live. And thing sucks. Oh, it's off the record stories you've missed but need to hear, including ticket prices at the Super Bowl, Rod, and you you indicated maybe you'd like to get to the Super Bowl. I'm going to try. I've I got a – I think I might have an invite. one of your buddies, man. Yeah, I might have an invite. We'll see. There I don't want to be a burden, folks, but I might have an invite. Well, Super Bowl. Uh, the equation for this uh, with the Taylor Swift enhanced Chiefs fandom, along with a West Coast team like the Niners with the proximity to Las Vegas – and everybody wants to be in Las Vegas anyhow. Damn right. Uh, record level pricing now, according to ticket the ticket aggregator, Ticket IQ. Almost 11000 going up on $12,000 for an in-the-door ticket to the Super Bowl. 12 Ooh, Gs. Ooh, 12 Gs. That's a lot of money. But honestly, that's where all the ballers go. So for the people that's going, it ain't a lot of money. For the gen pop like me, if we try to sneak on in, yeah, it's a lot of money. But for most of those people down there, man, that's going to be – I guarantee you – it's going to be more private jets and stuff hanging out in Vegas. They've had a long time, like jet setting going on in Vegas. Oh, by the way, speaking of that, um, Ty, there's plenty of time for Taylor Swift to be back. If weather cooperates, plenty of time for her to be back from her uh, Tokyo performance. Tokyo concert. Tokyo concert. Tour. In, in time for the Super Bowl. Actually, if she, if she times it out right and she doesn't delay and just gets right on the plane right after a concert – She'd get to Vegas well, Saturday night. From, she from, gets to Vegas Saturday night before the Super Bowl. From my research, she is she has uh, twenty minutes to get on the jet after her concert to make it by the by, by halftime. Well, she'll make it. So I, maybe uh, maybe our math is is a little different there. Yeah, because I got it from Good Morning America. So these ladies are breaking oh, it down. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they've already they they've already basically said if weather permits. That's the biggest issue is weather. It's not whether she can as long as she doesn't like go out that night after the performance and she just goes to the airport and gets on a plane, then she'll be fine if the weather doesn't delay. Remember, they they got jets. They can go a little faster than you do. I mean, on, on, Gin Pop does. All right. But she but has her own. She has her own jet. So we 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 know. How That's bad. what I'm saying. Like she, they, they go faster on their own jets than we do. Gin poppers do. Oh, I know. When we we fly, she'll so, make it. Yeah, she'll, know, she'll no, make not it. Not to worry. Yeah, yeah. If I, you were, if it's if weather permits, she'll make it in plenty of time. Like it won't even be a rush. She'll make it the day before. She'll be there before Reba sings the national anthem. Yeah. And Post Malone sings America the Beautiful. Yeah. She'll be she'll be she'll be out that <laughs> night Saturday night. And remember, I heard a lot of people talking about this the other day. But the, she, before she even started dating Travis Kelsey. 
She was asked to do the Super Bowl halftime show, and she said no. She said no? She told the NFL, no, thank you. Yeah, because they, they asked you to do it for free. Yes, and she's in the middle of this billion-dollar tour. She's like, yeah, I'm going to have the like, no. most lucrative tour in the history of music, and you want me to come work for free? Go get Usher. <laughs> exactly. Go get Usher. Yeah. He needs it. For folks who said, why didn't they get Taylor Swift to do the halftime? They asked her to. Uh, and she said, no, thanks. She's like, no, nah, I ain't working for free, guys. I'll be in Tokyo. <laughs> I'll be in Tokyo making a lot of money. And if she had, like, if she had a reason to, if it was, if it was, I don't know, for her, if she was incentivized to do it somehow, like she had a – and she had a tour going on. But I don't know. She have a, she had an album not too long ago too. But usually that coincides with people having some kind of project they have. They the, week, the weekend spent more than a million dollars of yeah. own money on the halftime show and yeah. sold a bunch of records. Yeah, they want to promote like a project and of theirs. So she a tour. she's like, I don't need to promote. I, I'm on NFL. I'm on the most popular TV show in America every weekend. <laughs> I'm good. Oh, <laughs> by, by the, by the way, didn't. my my intel was bad. You're right, Rod. I, I just got a text from, from, from my buddy who told me that, who was listening right now. And he She'll said, make it. He said she will make it. He was wrong. Yeah. I mean, she's going to make it. Like, she's going to – I guarantee you. She'll be there. She wants to see a boot thing. Oh, Win a Super Bowl. We didn't talk about this, guys. We're going to have to, though. Uh, Elon Musk, our fellow uh, Central Texan. Our neighbor. And, and Neuralink. Guys, he's making history. Uh, Neuralink, which is a chip <laughs> that is embedded in uh, and surgically placed in someone's brain – with this new technology he's calling telepathy, will enable control of your phone or computer and through almost any device just by thinking about it. Initial users will be those who have lost use of their limbs. Oh, nice. Um, but he is saying that he said an initial results from the procedure are promising and that they, they've already embedded the chip in a human patient. Oh, Lord. Patient is recovering and must set telepathy's first target audience uh, like you said, we'll be those who.